The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Attention this morning to Luke chapter 9 and some challenging teaching from Jesus on the subject of discipleship and what it means to be a disciple of his follower. This has been the, the larger theme throughout this chapter so far as Luke has laid out for us a few different passages that show us in different ways and places, Jesus using his disciples in ministry, sending them out on a mission strip of sorts, using them to work and minister to people. Disciples, we're seeing, followers of Jesus are to be about what Jesus is about, are to do the work that Jesus does in his power, certainly, but very similar to him, working to expand his kingdom. And last week we considered that kingdom and Jesus' identity as king of that kingdom. He is the Messiah, the Christ of God, the king, not just a teacher. He's not just a teacher who explains or calls people to the kingdom and shows them this is what it it looks like, this is what you need to do to get into it. More than that, thankfully, he's the king who sets up his kingdom, who enacts his reign, and who brings people into it. He doesn't just tell them to come, he brings them in. He does this all after and indeed because of his rejection by the world. It leads even to his own death. That great paradox laid at the foundation of this Christian faith, that great paradox that the rightful king of glory and power, who has the kind of power that we've seen him use, the rightful king of glory and power, sets up his kingdom by going low, humble, into suffering and rejection and even death. That's a paradox. That's that's an oddity that in fact must be an important word we saw in that passage, the word must. It is necessary that it be this way. Necessary that this king set up his kingdom by going low into suffering and death, even death on a cross, because he intends to set up this king with people like us, this kingdom with people like us in it. This kingdom of righteousness and justice that's going to have people like us in it has to somehow or another deal with our sin. That's what he goes low to do, to go to the cross, to deal with our sin so as to bring us into his kingdom. Jesus walks that path of lowly suffering and rejection, which has great ramification for us as his disciples. If we follow a crucified king, if we follow one who laid down his life before moving into glory, there's an indication there that we're also going to walk a similar path. Before we walk into glory, we also will walk into a laid down life, which brings us to our passage today. This morning in Luke 9, I'm going to work on the following main point. So here's here's my main objective this morning, main point. Jesus' followers surrender to him daily and thereby receive the light of glory. Jesus' followers surrender to him daily and thereby receive the life of glory. One comes first, surrender and then glory. That's what I'm working towards this morning in Luke 9. Let me read the passage, verses 23 to 27, and then I'll make two observations unpacking that statement. Luke 9, 
beginning in verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Luke 9. We're going to make two points. Here's the first one. Disciples are those who consistently deny themselves in subordination to Jesus. Disciples are those who consistently deny themselves in subordination to Jesus. Paragraph opens with Jesus speaking to all. We aren't told clearly the connection of the context because he's been alone with his disciples and now he's speaking to all and it's in a clearly wider context, a wider scope. But he's speaking to all as if answering an unspoken question about discipleship. And he says, if anyone desires, wishes, wants to come after me, to all who are wondering what's required to be a follower of mine, a disciple, here it is, let me tell you about it. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Two commands there. Grammatically, very similar, they're very generic commands that Jesus is giving the qualification for follower. And right away, before we consider the meaning of this command, of these commands, we, we have to notice something important. Jesus is not addressing a question about something elite something like above and beyond. This is not about higher level Christian living. It's not about being a more committed follower. He doesn't say, if any of my disciples would like to come after me and follow me more deeply. He's talking to the general person, anyone, and this is the call of Jesus to all those general people calling them to follow him, calling them to discipleship. So this is about standard discipleship then. This is about something that is right at the ground level, basic follow me. So we can't dismiss this as, as if it's like super, like a, like a bonus offer about something extra and try to convince ourselves that I'm still a disciple of Jesus, I'm still a follower of Jesus, just radically so because I don't want any part of that. That's like for the people who are really into it. I'm a follower of Jesus like on the first level but not in the bonus round. No, this is basic. You want to follow me? Okay, here's what it is. Come walk with me. Gives two basic commands. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily. And then the third command, follow me, which is different, which is put differently than the first two. It's in an ongoing, continual sense. It's what they just asked about. I want to follow you. Okay, I'll talk about follow me, walking with me in life. And the first two commands are the focus, explaining what that looks like. 
So the focus here is on deny yourself and take up your cross. That's how you follow. Followers of Jesus, Christians, deny themselves. They reject themselves. Something we do to ourselves, not what's done to us. It's not they are rejected. They are denied by the world, but deny yourself. Take up your own cross. We do it ourselves. Taking up the cross. That, that phrase right there, in the context of that day, that meant one thing very clearly. It wasn't about identifying with Jesus or saying, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, I wear a cross, put a cross on my wall. And it wasn't about just generic suffering in, in difficult situations. A person carrying his cross meant one thing, his life is over. finished. If you're carrying your cross, you are on your way to your death, to be crucified. A defeated rebel. Defeated, so much so that the state has successfully forced you to carry out your own execution, so to speak. A person carrying his cross is staggering under the weight of the crossbar on his shoulders that he's about to be nailed to in a few minutes and then hoisted up, hung there to die slowly a gruesome death, sometimes over days, humiliated, hung there naked as people mock him for days as he dies slowly and excruciatingly painfully. Rome wins. Your rebellion is over. You are brought back under the authority of Rome brought back under the rule of the one against whom you rebelled when you broke all these laws, you're brought back into submission in this dramatic and final and absolute way. Carry your cross. You want to follow me? Says Jesus. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Daily. Daily. So this isn't literal then, because what I just described only happens once. This is daily, and he's not talking about being executed by Rome. This is done as a constant thing, a consistent thing, not once and then I'm done, but a consistent, daily, voluntary, deliberate surrendering of my life, losing of my life, to borrow a phrase from the next verse. A deliberate, consistent embracing of the life of dying. Dying to self. Rejecting self's independence. Self's independent goals and independent agendas. Middle verse 24. Lose life, deny yourself, take up your cross for my sake. It's not denial for denial's sake. It's not as if there's something virtuous in, in getting rid of everything. He says, I call you to follow me, to say no to yourself, to deny your own life so as to say yes to me, to get rid of your independence so as to 
champion my superiority, my authority. To say, I'll set aside my cause for the sake of Christ's cause. Die my life so as to live his life. I lose my life for his sake. If you want to put a phrase on that from a different passage, Jesus' words, not my will but yours be done, is the required attitude of a follower of Jesus, of the Christian. We are people. I'll speak of myself, though I'm speaking of you. I have a will. I have wants and desires and interests and goals and dreams and hopes like you. They're, they're different wherever you are, but we do. And I have feelings and impulses and pulls and interests and attractions and I'm intrigued by certain things and repulsed by other things like you and it's all real and it's all strong and it's attractive we have gut level appeal in certain things and and disdain for certain things that's all real because we are people we're people Some of what we are drawn to or, or turned away from, some of what we want and, and aspire to and work for and live for, some of it, certainly some of it is sinful and wrong, but not all of it, and, and frankly, probably not most of it. But for our purposes this morning, it's not important to delineate which is sinful and which isn't, because it all, the point is it all goes under the I want, either I want that or I want to avoid that, but it all goes under the I want and the requirement that Jesus is laying in front of us here is that we approach Jesus daily, every moment really, consistently saying, here Lord, I put all of this on the table. All of it. All of it on the table in front of you. And I take my hands off it and I step back. I don't put it down there and keep my hand on top of it. I don't put it down there and separate off some of it over here. I put it all on the table, all of my dreams, all of my life. I put it there and I step back. I let go of it. Not my will, but yours be done. What do you want? What is your will for me? Where do you lead? I will follow you there. And probably when you do that, you'll find that some of what you wanted is what he wants for you, in fact. And some of what you didn't want, he will change your desire so that you now begin to want it. But the point is, it all goes on the table. Pulled out of your pockets, out of your closet, and out of your files, and out of your garage, and out of your heart, and out of your mind. How you use, it's easy to think about some of this, how you use your resources. Sure, all my money, my checkbook, all of my money, yeah, that's easy. But maybe you need to think another level into that and think, he's also calling for all of my perspectives and my relationships. 
the kinds of people that I pursue or avoid and why I pursue them and who I want to date and who I don't want to date and why, all of that on the table. My perspective on on the type of family that I build, the number of kids I want or don't want, and how I deal with getting them or not. On the table. Maybe to think in how, how how you relationally view people, relationships. How many... We're all narcissistic. Teenagers... This is a particular problem of youth. You don't realize it, but you look at people. You look at people like this. It's all about me. Now, that's all of us. Teenagers especially. We're looking out at people and it's all about me. How I view people and relationships and those I pursue or those I don't and what I say to them on the table. What about conflicts? Some of us perhaps need to think not just about who we married and why, who we wanted to date and why, but how we are in our marriages and why. Our relational responses to people who we're tied to and don't give us what we want. We respond sometimes in frustration or in anger or in ostracism or maybe in embracing people. And how we are in our relationships, even within our marriages, how, how it goes for you when some spouse, husband or wife, either way, does something to you that you are offended by. Do you, do you set that aside and, and demand justice? How do you feel about that? How do you respond? Put that on the table. All of life, not just the easy ones like my money, sure, how I spend my money and how I spend my time, yeah, but how you feel about things and who you pursue and what, what you dream about for your future, everything that you can possibly conceive of goes on the table for his sake. Again, it's easy to see. I put my money on the table. He uses it to advance his church or support a missionary, build his kingdom. Yeah. Let me skip all the way to the end of that list of things. I put my emotional response to my spouse on the table for Christ's sake in my own heart. Nobody else on the planet sees it but, but maybe him or her and me. But as I put it out there and I say, for your sake, Lord, what do do you want me to do here with this? I feel a certain way. What do you want? And how I am listening to him and how I then respond grows his name in me. Maybe grows his name in him or her. Only people who know. For his sake, I put everything out there. I surrender it all to him. As you deny yourself and give up title on your own life, dying to self daily, again, always, this is what Jesus calls us to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it well in 
in a sentence, in a classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. When Christ calls a man, I should say woman, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Which is an incredibly high bar. And is the starting place. I said earlier, we got to remember this is foundational. It's the starting place. It's the basic description of a disciple. Such that to say, no, I will not put all of that on the table. I am entitled to, I will hold back. To say, no, I will not give up my all. No, I will not deny myself and take up my cross for his sake is to hear in response, then you're not a disciple. Then you're not a follower of mine. Not to hear, well, you're not a super-duper follower of mine. You didn't walk in the front door. You're not in the house. Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. No follower of Jesus rejects that. Which is hard. It's hard because for some of us, we, we probably are thinking, I certainly have thought, Really, because I have that attitude sometimes. I have had the attitude of, of no, I, I will not give that up. When you see that in yourself, repent. Because what, what Jesus is saying here is that that's not following me. That, that is not allowed to remain. I, I don't let that go. I don't say, yeah, you're, you're 90% there. I, I want it all. We've done ourselves a great disservice in, in the Christian world in modern days of trying to divide Jesus the Savior from Jesus the Lord. There are not two Jesuses. There is no such thing as Jesus who is the Savior but is not the Lord. There is one Christ. Jesus, the Christ of God. And he will not allow us to set aside certain things. When we find ourselves saying, I have kept this aside and I have resisted you, the response is to repent and bring it back to him. That is hard because the reason we kept it is that it's hard for us. It's, it's something that we fear, something that we really strongly want. We have to say here on the table. But for others of us, it is difficult because perhaps you find that you have not trusted Christ at all. I can't, stay, I can't stand here and tell you which it is. All I can say is before you right now, the call of Christ is to give up your life. And the person who says no to that should ask himself, am I actually a Christian? Jesus saves those who come to him knowing their need for a Lord to reign over them and change them. The kind of surrender that Jesus has in view here is exactly the thing he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, 
Theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit, humble before him, knowing their need, surrendered. The person who says, no, I will not do that, should say, am I actually in the house? You want to be a follower of Jesus, then deny yourself. Take up your cross consistently and follow him. Who in the world can do that? There are two things we have to consider if we're going to hear those commands of Jesus and respond to them. The first thing is we have to remember the gospel. In our failure, you have to remember the gospel. The only person who can say, I, I read that passage, I hear that guy talking about that passage, and I'm not crushed by it, is the person who remembers, who remembers that before, before Jesus said, I call you to die for my sake, he said, I, in fact, am going to die for your sake. You have to remember that. This is the one who, who just said, who just said, I, in fact, I'm going to take up a literal cross. I'm going to bear a cross, and I'm going to go through rejection and suffering, and I'm going to die for your sake that you might be redeemed and brought into this kingdom. He just said that, and then he turns around and calls us to follow likewise, meaning for us to remember that, to not forget it, but to know that he himself first walked to the cross. For you. We have to look to him and remember that he is a merciful Savior and a merciful Lord who did not die for people who were already fine and completely good, but died for people that he knew would struggle with this. And so he shows us the way and then calls us to follow him. Let this mind be, like, be yours, like Christ's, who did not consider himself equal to God, but humbled himself and embraced death on a cross. Our minds are to be like that, fixed, looking at, remembering, noticing he went first. He paved the way. Ah, okay, he actually is for me then. This is the first thing you have to remember when you see this, and this is a, this is a, it is, it is a firm call. But you've got to see it in light of what he already has said he would do. And second, we have to be the kind of people who not only hear that firm call and count the cost of such subordination, but who also hear it and count the benefit. And that's the second point. So understand here, if I give you like an aside glimpse of the sermon, understand here, the first point cannot be preached softly. There's no way to be supple, flexible, and malleable on deny yourself and take up your cross. That's a line in the sand. So I got to speak like that to you. And I got I to press that home to you and help you to realize that. And then I need to turn it over and say, and there's no way to preach the second half of this without saying, oh my gosh, are you going to be rewarded? 
Okay, so you see the two sides of this here? Here's the second one, second point. Consistent self-denying subordination of Jesus, what we were just talking about, is profoundly profitable. Profoundly profitable. Verse 23, call discipleship, commands outlining what disciples are like, how they are to be, and then notice 24, 25, and 26 all begin with the word for. They are reasons. And while they're split into three different statements, they aren't really three completely different reasons. They're all kind of intertwined, very similar. Jesus is saying, essentially, in the next three statements, there is something to be gained in this loss I just commanded you and called you to. Die, deny, give up your life. Verse 24. For, because... That's what actually leads to a saved life. Whoever tries to save his own life, if we try to hold on to this independent life, all the things that I feel and that I want and that I long for and I dream, maybe some of them are good, maybe some of them are bad, whatever, if I refuse to put them on the table because they are so good and so desirable, I try to hold on to them and keep them, Jesus says, actually you can't. You're going to lose them. The sands are going to run through your fingers and you won't be able to grab a hold of it. But I tell you where you can get life. Give all that away. You will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will do the good and right obedient thing like I told him to. No, he says, we'll save it. The way to save your life is to give it up to Jesus and notice, notice a couple things about this. You, you, this is like how to view God, the Bible, Christianity, this marvelous faith. Jesus keeps the attention on, on you. And notice how he deals with you. He keeps the focus on us, the thinking and choosing party. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You will save it. He's talking to you about what you will do. Now, of course, really, it's saved by God in the end. But he removes it off of God. He keeps it off of God and keeps it on you because you're the one at the pivot point with the stuff that you just pulled out of your pockets. You're saying, do I want to put that on the table or not? He's talking to you about what will come when you make a certain decision and, 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 and that. Because you feel like I just gave it all away. And he's saying, actually, you just gained it all. You gained it all. You saved your life. A little bit like, if you pardon the imagery, a person who's standing at a gambling table feels like I have a certain bit of concrete And if I put that on the table, then for the moment, I have nothing. And there's a vulnerability there. I had a sure thing in hand, and Jesus says, take that small pile of money you have and go all in, and you will enrich yourself. 
He's keeping the attention on you as you stand there at the pivot point of decision. What should I do? He says, act in a way that enriches yourself. He's keeping it on you and notice what he's doing with you. He's talking to you about profit. Not obedience. Not law. Not what must be or what I require from you. But profit. This is the piece that's God, the Bible, the Christian faith. Profit. Do you believe Jesus when he says, make this choice and it will profit you? It is a question of belief about profit. He gives commands, they are firm ones. But lest we think him just about authority and command and firmness, he also clearly reasons with us and even entices us with the promise of good. Profound, personal profit. Jesus says to you, you can get for yourself. Now, at that point you should say, as I, as I put it like that, Jesus says for you that you can get for yourself. We should say, is that Christianity? Wait a minute. That sounds very me and self-centered. Is that Christianity? Well, I don't know. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's you saving it. What does it profit a man? He's talking about profit again to Two people making us think about what profits us. If he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself. He's talking to people. Jesus is talking to people about our personal gain. And urging you to make the decision that gains for yourself. I take it that Jesus is a Christian. The first one. So it's biblical. It's, it's right. It's good. And it's necessary that he follows, that all that is chasing right behind on the heels of die to self, take up your cross. Those are hard things, which he then backs right up with, think about this. Really, it's very profitable for you. Not only does it not profit a man to, to gain the whole world, well, it does profit him, he gains the whole world. He does gain everything. All that he didn't put on the table, he, he kept it all. He, he got it all. Whatever that would be for you, whatever, however you think of incredibly rich, full, profitable life, Jesus says, imagine that. The people, the things, the resources, the experiences, the, the education, the, the delights, the pleasures, whatever it is that you think would be great, take all of that 
and put it in your pockets and step away. And Jesus calls us to think about what would that profit you if you have all of that and you lose your life? Forfeit yourself. When? When's this profit or when's this forfeit, this loss that he's talking about? When is that? Well, perhaps here in this life, we could look at other passages. Jesus talks about the one who's given up everything for, for me and for the kingdom will receive back in this life a hundredfold and in the life to come eternal life. So there is warrant for thinking his blessing comes to us sometimes in this life, yes. But the trajectory of the passage is on towards some other day. To the world that is beyond this world. This man would not lose his life in this world. He actually gained this whole world. When does he lose his life? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and stands on the earth to judge the living and the dead and the rich and the poor. And that day is coming. It's coming. When the Son of Man comes in glory, no longer humble and meek and suffering and rejected and killed as he just said he would be. But when he comes, verse 26, in his glory, arrayed as the king that he is, trailing all of the heavenly host in their glory behind him to set up a throne room on the earth filled with the glory of the Father. And everyone who would not follow after him now comes to stand before him and one by one is judged. The only way we can convince ourselves that this move was profitable is to forget that day. And Jesus, in his great kindness, presses home to anyone who will listen this fact that there is a day coming when the Son of Man will come not humble and lowly, meek and rejected, but will come in might and in splendor and every single eye on earth will see him, and every single man, woman, and child will stand before him. And those right now who were ashamed of him, not how we think of ashamed sometimes, it's like cringing and awkward feeling, but who would not find it honorable to deal with him, those who set him aside and wanted nothing to do with him, will in fact in that day hear from him, I want nothing to do with you, and will be set aside from him.
That day is coming. It says in the next verse that some, in fact, will see it before they die. Confusing passage that has spawned a lot of discussion. I think the best way to interpret it is in light of what comes next. Verse 28, which we'll talk about later. Some will see Jesus transfigured, looking like he will in that day, in all of his glory. When he is raised up and begins his kingdom. Some will see it. That day, men and women, that day is coming. And this, the only way that we can deal with this call to day by day by day by day die to self is if we're living for a day by day by day, if we're living for a day that's beyond this day. It's the only way that works. If we live saying, yes, I give up my life. Yes, I give up my life. Yes, I put it all on the table again. If we live in light of only this moment, if, if our focus is only narrow and, and right here, confined by our present circumstances, that will become an intolerable weight eventually. It will lead us only to a life of, of what is the point and how can I endure this? Jesus does not leave us there, but lifts up our eyes and says, do you realize I call you to something now, but I promise you there's a day coming, and you believe this. I tell you, based on my own character, that I, the God who cannot lie, I promise you, you will save your life. You will profit yourself immensely. You will find from me, not I am ashamed of you, but you are mine and welcomed in. Men and women, that day is indeed coming. All the way here? No, not yet. Not yet. We do not yet see him standing on the earth in glory to judge. Not yet. But in part, we have seen that. The grave was empty. He was raised from the grave. He reigns in heaven now. We see evidence of that in our own lives as his spirit extends his kingdom even to us. I'm a Christian because the reign has begun. Only a fool, only a fool watches the day break and sees, I, I can see across the living room now and I can see out into the yard and a little bit later I can see out into the street, but I do not think the sun will rise all the way and illumine the whole neighborhood. Only a fool says no to that. A wise person says, I have seen the sun begin to come up I can see a little more. I can see a little more. The day of full dawn is coming. A wise person bets on that. A wise person takes everything that he or she has and puts it all on the table and says, I bet on the day dawning. Why? Because it's already dawned. The sun's already beginning to rise. Take it all, take it all, because I, I do believe the sun will rise completely, fully. A wise person bets that way, and a fool says no. And Jesus is directly appealing 
to your understanding of his return and of a day of great glory coming and says, put everything, put it all on the table. Give all of yourself to me. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. To bet against that is hopeless. How should we respond to this? For me, I find it not often an issue of my resources. That's why I moved past that quickly earlier in the sermon. I find it an issue of, of my heart and my attitude. So perhaps I, I want to particularly direct you there, and maybe that's different for you because you're used to hearing things like this that are about give up your time and your money. Maybe what you need to hear is something more like Jesus calls me to deny my sense of control, deny my sense of I want to understand, deny my, my feeling of I, I should be respected. And to put that in front of him and say, if for your sake, Lord, you want me to follow you in ignorance and in disrespect, that you would be honored in my own life and in front of other people who see me. Okay. I will do that believing that a day is coming when that will be of great benefit to me. How so exactly? Well, we talked about rewards earlier in this book. And the real answer is, I don't know. But I believe that he knows how to reward people. He knows how to profit me. And he calls me to choose in faith to give up life to him, believing that he will bless me, that he will reward me, he will give me life in the future. I think we should respond to him as followers of him, maybe particularly beyond just our resources, but by putting our emotions and our desires and our longings in front of him, saying, I give up my life to you and I trust you to fill it in later. So I'm going to pray towards that end. That that would be an, an attitude that we have before it's about our stuff. Pray with me. Father, I think sometimes we who are your people, I think sometimes 
we wrestle with the idea of letting go. Letting go where we don't understand, where we can't control. and where it frightens us. So where we have sinned, Lord, and and not let go, thank you for being a gracious forgiver. And would you work in us, Lord, maybe in particular people here, would you work in us to lift up our eyes beyond what is uncertain and what is fearful. Beyond that to a certain day when you will come. You will stand on the earth and you will judge. And for your people, when you will reward. You give grace to us and help us to see that day and to to believe it is coming because you said it was. Lead us then to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and to follow you into uncertainty and into fearful situations, certain and confident that you are a rewarder of those who seek you. Meet us, your people, now, please. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.